so he was talking me like waiting for me to maliza i'm like ah it's finished all right wakarema you sent you sent my weakness wakarema yes no one can ever say to say no to wakarema she will hunt you down Exactly. Even when sitting down with Likaren, who's a multi-award winning Kenyan director, his most recent film Supermodel, which was a co-production of One Fine Game Films and was funded by Tom Taiko, had its world premiere at the Balinali Film Festival. Not only that, he has just dropped the first season of the most celebrated TV series in Kenya right now, that is Crime and Justice. And today he's here with us. So sit down and listen in. Man, how's 2021 been so far, bro? It's been surprisingly good, man. Just wrapping up a few projects, and then when um, I was wrapped with one project less than two weeks later, I get the call for Crime and Justice. I thought I was gonna, you know, you know, the artist in you always goes, ah, I'm gonna take it months you know like get into the head space yeah, yeah man like, i don't reflect yeah i was like i'm gonna write about my next feature i'm just gonna relax ah after two weeks as equations like i was really hoping to be part of crime and justice yeah like i was really really envious that i wasn't part of it in the in the, in the beginning yeah. so i was like talking trash in the corners like, yeah <laughs> they're just going on they don't want local directors <laughs> i was talking trash until i got the call then i'm like ah Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, this people are so nice, man. This Yo, is this like, guy is an amazing experience. But yeah. I was jealous. I won't lie. I was jealous because I was following the progress. And because um, Brian was part of the, the script writing process. And I'd hear bits and pieces of what he was working on. Yeah. And I was like, I really, really want to get my hands on this show. So when I got the call, I was like, yeah, I'm tired, but it doesn't matter. We'll drop everything to be part of this. So yeah, yeah, that became two months of my life. And now I'm back to ah, I want to relax. And now I'm like, I'm gonna chill now. Now I'm really going to chill. I feel I get the call like the next week or tomorrow, and then I'm I'm like back into this world. Yeah, exactly. That's the best part of this because we we felt like okay, we don't have enough conversations with our own creators, you know, who people are, what people are doing, where people have come from. Also, sort of like understand. The thought process that our own creatives have. I mean, I go on YouTube all the time, and I have so many channels that I follow, but yeah. none of them ever have Africans. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Because you always want to to be inspired by your own. Yeah. Even when when we're looking for video essays to break down movies, it's never African movies exactly. and never African content. So I've always been feeling that lack of like yeah. learning from someone else who's in the same space as you are. I was super glad that this is happening. I've been following the progress silently. I'm like a silent supporter. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd be targeted by Wakarema. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really good to have another conversation with another um, African filmmaker yeah. and get those feedbacks. Going. Season one of it mm. sort of like opened my eyes up to like, whoa, people do things. People come from power. People fight for their yeah. dreams, you know? Yeah, man. Let me sit and go like, have I been compromising, <laughs> taking the easy route out of this thing? Because, yeah. Yeah. You look at people in your own field, uh, you always judge them by their current works. You always see the finished product. You never know what these guys are going through or what they've gone through to get there. Mm-hmm. Then you hear their stories, you're like, ah, 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 maybe I should 
put in an extra 20% <laughs> just so that I be like closer to what he's achieved because people exactly. have stories. So what's yours, bro? How did it start? Do you have parents who are like into film? I am the black sheep of my family. I'm the only one who went down this field and stuck to it. At one point, my family thought I was insane because I was like, I was not making money because <laughs> I was in theater. I started in theater. Actually, I started... Yo, my journey is long. I don't know how far back you want to start. Go, my go, go, as, far, go as far as... Is it something you saw as a kid? Like, we've always had that filmmaking um, vibe in our home. Um, yeah. My dad, because I was born in Russia, and when my dad well, was posted there, he really instilled in us movie night, which was something very rare. Every Friday, we have to watch a movie, and he'd go out of his way to get the latest movie. I don't know how old I was, but we were watching Moonraker, James Bond. Are you serious? Um, yeah, and my dad even brought Halloween and Friday the 13th. That we weren't supposed to be watching, watching, but it was like, this is the latest. You guys have to be in touch with the latest thing. So even music, like you'd go get a Celine Dion um, LP if you could find. So we've always had that in our our lives growing up. We never had restrictions watching movies. TV wasn't locked. Like I used to hear stories from our neighbors, like, oh, TV na fungwa mchana. for me, TV was always there. Like, I'd wake up early in the morning to watch Hallmark. There's a time yeah, Hallmark, Hallmark would be free. Yeah, yeah. And so we'd wake up at like 4 a.m. just to watch a movie before going to school. I'd finish school at like 3, rush home to watch Superman cartoons and yeah. uh, Chip and Dale. And... What is your IQ level? You have like an IQ of zero. Because everyone says too much watching. <laughs> for, us, it was, for us, I think it was my mom and dad, especially my dad was all about culture. He yeah. knew when watching movies and listening to music, you're experiencing someone else's culture. So he never used to lock it down, you know. He used to even bring VHS steps we could record shows and watch later. Because of that, there was no negative approach when it came to the arts, as opposed to other filmmakers, other families. So when I got to high school, I knew I wanted to be in film. It was either be a filmmaker or be a scientist. I always wanted to join uh, Mohammed Amin Foundation, the Morphos at that time. Oh yeah, man, man, that was so huge. Man. When I was informed too, there was that application of where do you want to go and what mm-hmm. are the, the qualifications. So I wanted to join Morphos because I really wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I even signed the forms. I knew they wanted a C plus and above. There was a scholarship I could apply for. But then I dropped out of high school due to financial reasons. So yeah. for me, I thought, ah, that's it, man. I'm never going to be a filmmaker. I yeah. need the paperwork. And yeah. so I got into this phase of two years of just nothing but so just depression and doing odd jobs here and there. I used to paint houses. I used to sell fruits for the markets. Really? I used to sell piazzi. Yeah, I used to, <laughs> At one point, I used to wash people's clothes just for like two socks. Like, there was this small cafes where I was, like, everywhere. So I just used to do odd jobs because I knew, you know what, I, I don't have paperwork and I, I'm not educated, so I might as well just adapt and find new ways of telling, of, of getting money. Yeah. And at one point, I even got into um, helping people invest in shares. So, like, research. I used to do everything. I'd research on the newspaper and be like, oh, Ketepa are doing, there's this merger coming up, so I'd advise my mom's friends you should buy these shares now and then i'll get like a, like a five stock like there a or stock there yeah. and it paid off that was until i joined church because i was a church yeah. boy 
Yeah. And I heard that the drama department had hot chicks. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> of all the things that can inspire you, you have just suffered through it. <laughs> no, listen, listen. Me, I was, I was closed off for those three years. I didn't experience, like all my age mates were in school. When I was like 19 and I had drama department has hot chilies. I was like, <laughs> I found my calling. <laughs> so I, I went to drama department to get chicks. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be cast in a play. Yeah. So they cast me in a play. Yeah. That was not the plan. I was just yeah. going to go, hang out with the chicks, stay in the background, don't draw attention, get the chicks, me, I'm in. Oh, then I got a role and I panicked. I remember it was a play we were doing at Friday Night Kesha. I was panicking like nobody's business. I went, I, I keep telling guys, I went to the loose seven and a half times. Like, don't count the half. Like, just, yeah, the question is, is what is happening in the half? Yeah, yeah I'm like, just no. <laughs> So until I got on that stage and man, it's like something got over me. I was like, yeah. this is where I belong. Like I, I remember doing that that role and guys were clapping. And then at the end, I'm like asking guys, what did I do? Because I got into a trance yeah. and I felt like so at home. And so I started doing uh, plays at the church. My mom wasn't happy because I used to steal her clothes and do like... <laughs> I used to do weird, weird roles. Like, I do anything that came my way. I'd play a mom this time, play a dad. Just do so everything. So, you'd have been Madia. It's just that the universe didn't align Ma- you in the right. You see, I don't judge Madia at all. Like, <laughs> I see her, I'm like, I get you. This is your Kesha. This is your church play. Do it. So, I did it for a while until this one lady, young girl, she's actually younger than me. She's called Annabelle. She's like, I had this place called National Theatre. I think you should come. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm broke. At that time, I remember I was, that's when I was doing, I was cleaning people's houses and uh, people's clothes. So I didn't have yeah. any amount of money. So this chick was like, no, do this. I will pay your fare. And I'll even buy you lunch, like cheapo. Yeah. Just come because I think you have something. So she paid me fa- my fare and I went and I auditioned for traveling theater. Yeah. And I got the role. Funny thing Wait, is this Why are those people for Merchant of Venice? I ah, did, yes. Yeah. I actually ah. did, um, <laughs> I did travel, I did um, Coming to Bath, I was oh, a narrator, man. I did Kifo Kishimani, I was um, Askari 3 and one of the cops, I think it's Tanui, I did um, Enemy of the People, I did uh, several of them, and after traveling theatre is when now I met uh, Brian Monene, and that was 13 years ago, and we just realized, you, that we both like theatre, but we also like film. Mm. And so we just started this small, small discussion with him about what he's interested in doing. And he was like, he wants to do a mini series. And that was the in thing. I'd, I'd love to learn um, about filmmaking, but I'm not confident because I don't have the paperwork. And he was like, mm. he also doesn't have the paperwork. <laughs> so we were like, let's just stay with theater and see at least here we can express ourselves. After we did traveling theater, that's when I got the call to join Phoenix Players. That's where my life changed completely because it's like theater, Phoenix players, it's like theater on steroids. Traveling theater, it's more of big performances, you know, over the top. You're performing to students, more Shakespearean performances. Phoenix was all about getting into character and getting lost in it and all about the subtlety of a performance. After like, I think six months or a year there, I remember calling Brian up and I'm like, dude, Stop traveling theater. 
you have to come join this this thing because it's like this is a whole new level so mm. i got brand an audition he came join me there and we started doing plays first as actors and then as directors how Small, long did that take i think it was a turnover of like three years three years of grinding and yeah and then at that time we used to do 12 shows and three weeks of rehearsals you'd get 2k <laughs> yeah you're 2k and then after like a year we were promoted and we were paid 5k cash we're like this this is insane i'm earning money me i'm looking at it from i'm earning money from my art my family is like it's 5k i'm like yeah it's costing you 6k for fair alone to go for rehearsals i'm like yeah but i'm getting 5k you guys don't understand there's money coming in finally because for traveling theater this we weren't paid like the money are you serious yeah sometimes you're not being paid sometimes the cash wasn't enough so for me i was like here's a full amount that i'm getting while i was doing that is when i got a role in my first on-screen performance which was yeah. ironically morphos mohammed amin foundation are you serious i went for an audition i didn't even know what it was i went for the audition and then after I got the party, when they told me it's for a student film for Morphos, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be part of the, the, the school that I really wanted to be. Like you used to get into Morphos, and you're like, this is the climax of film in Kenya. They used yeah. to do stuff that we were the envy of every filmmaker in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And so when I got on set, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to learn as much as I can. Then I got on set as an actor. I was, I was just the lead. And I got on set, and I'm like, I'm understanding their language. <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought because, you know, they're in school, they'd be talking something I wouldn't understand. But I'm like, yes, they're talking a language I understand. So I'm like, maybe I can actually do this if I actually apply myself. I started calling up the director, Charles Courier. I'll never forget him. And at night, I'd call him and like, I heard you say white balance. What is that? And he'd explain yeah. and I'd write it down on a note. Okay. I heard you say this. What do you mean? And I used to bother him. I used to call him every night on set, just ask him questions because I really wanted to learn about what is it about film that you need paperwork because I didn't see it. Maybe it was sheer, out of sheer arrogance that I mm. thought I could do it, but maybe it was also sheer determination because I'm like, mm. I have no other option. There's an opening here, I have to do it. So after Morphos, I was like, I need to do my first movie and I called Brian up. I actually did my first short film without Brian. Yeah. And the compromise was I needed to work in the guy who funded my first short film, he gave me 5k, yeah. worked in River River Road and used to do uh... weddings, used to do the Kikuyu movies. Yeah, yeah. It was like, if you want to learn about film, come work for me. Yeah. I'll fund you for your first short film, but come yeah. work for me. So I actually ended up working in 2009. I was working in River Road, in actually Uko Kirinyaga Road. Uko Chini! Yeah, and I used to do those. I used to edit, and I was taught how to edit just those so that things I were a hit. There was like a period they where it was super hit. Like, because you see, film in Kenya, we always look at Nairobi, mm. but there's money being made in Kisumu, you know, those, mm. those small DVD places. They make a lot of money from vernacular movies, and I saw yeah. it firsthand because this guy was making a lot of money, especially with weddings and those movies. Yeah. So I worked there for a while and I learned how to edit. And while there, because he had internet, I learned how to do cinematography. I mm. Googled editing, Googled everything I could. Then I was like, I think I'm ready. I think after nine months, yeah. 
of working there, I called Brian up and I'm like, I'm ready to do movies now. Mm. And so we got together with Brian and we worked on 11 short films <laughs> that we did 11 short in films. a period of four days. <laughs> we were so ambitious. We were like, we have all these stories we want to tell. And you know what? Let's just tell them now. And I did those 11. Only eight survived the cut. Eight is like, <laughs> out of 11 is nothing. And we were doing that in my like my friend's house. Like we'd pick a house and like, this wall is one short film. She turned around and faced this other wall. That's another short film. The kitchen is another short film. <laughs> the, <laughs> the exterior is another short film. We went all out. I remember calling my sister because my sister used to do interior design. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to help me dress these sets. And so we did them. And I had them on a DVD. Yeah. And I was so proud of them. They were really, really bad. But I was so proud of them because I was like, I'm a filmmaker. And yeah. I used to take that DVD, go to Phoenix Players and tell everyone I make movies. Whether they are bad or not, I am I a filmmaker. Agree. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. And so that's where, while at Phoenix, while I was bragging about how I'm a filmmaker, is when I met a guy called Bruce Macau, who was like, I work for an agency. We're all actors there. You know, the bit of Phoenix was, you could get everyone. And he was like, we were in the same play together. Oh, I heard you say you're a filmmaker. I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. we have a music video that we're doing. Could you yeah. come do like, I'm like, of course, I'm a pro. <laughs> And then we walked out, I'm like, what is lighting? Let's go Google. <laughs> like, spend the whole day at the Cyber Cafe on learning how to light. And I went on, on his uh, production house and I did the lighting and he was like, this works. We have a commercial in two weeks for KRA. Would you like to do the lighting? I'm like, of course. I know how to do lighting. He'd walk out and be like, what is commercial lighting? What is, how do you light for a commercial? And I did that and I did three projects with them. And they employed their lighting guy and I was mm. their lighting technician. Wow. And at the same time, with those DVDs, I am also confident. I went to KTN. Oi. I have movies for you guys. It's like I am just arrogant and not only arrogant with ignorance, because I'm like, me, I don't know the process. Ew, I have DVDs <laughs> here, I have short films that you can buy. You know, my idea was how about you have short films in between commercials instead of commercials, commercials all the time. Like in between a show, just yeah. show a short film from Kenya. Oh yeah, let's lose money on commercials. Exactly. <laughs> so while I was bragging, um, is when I got a call by um to go meet a lady by the name of Api Matere. Ah. And right now you mentioned Api Matere, and everyone's like, oh yeah. But at that time she was an unknown to me. Yeah. Least. Yeah. And she's like, I have a project here that we're doing. And I heard you're a filmmaker. Why don't you come? So I went to make a DVD. <laughs> but eight, there, eight, I'm like, eight short films. Pop. Yeah, I'm like, take. And she watched only one. And she was like, you're, you're part of the project. And that project was um, Africa Magic Original Films. And she's like, you're the first director I am employing. You start next week. I'm like, I'm like of course. I'm like, cool. I step out and I'm shaking. I'm like, we don't know how to direct. <laughs> she told me there were 60 minute movies. I have I no, have idea. no idea. So I went and Googled how to make movies. And she's like, next week on Monday, you're coming on set to start. So I get on set and I'm seeing 50 people in my one unit. I'm like, who are, who are, who are these? 
the like the and why are they here? Eh, like the crew for why? What? Me, I made my movies with like three people, so I'm like, yo. So I winged my way through that project. I can say it now, but at that time, I never let anyone know that I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> now I can say it because the movies are done and ten yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, cool, forward, man. But at that time, I was shaking, and every day. I'd go in the evening and Google how to make movies. I'd call people up. No, was panicking, but I managed to direct nine feature films for them. Oh man, that was, and that was somehow, a crazy project, man. Yeah, because you know you have six days to do one movie. You have to do it in under six days. Then on Sunday, you're resting. You have to prep for the next day, the new movie. So you have to cast, you have to talk to actors, you have to talk to the production design, you have to make sure the sets are okay, the cinematographers know the style of the show, of the movie. And then on Monday, you start the process all over again with a new movie. You know, you're just thrown on the battlefield, you're like, go. And recently, I realized all those movies are on Showmax <laughs> right now. I actually watched them last month, all of them. They're like 100 movies. People don't know that there are 100 Kenyan films on that platform. And so I watched them and I'm like, man, because <laughs> I'm like, how did we survive to even have something coherent? Because yeah. we were all learners at that point. There was no pro. Maybe Gilbert Lucalia, when he yeah. came on board, we were all shaking because it's Gilbert yeah. or Jennifer Gatero. But up until that point, we were all on the ground. And somehow we made something that made sense. And I call up those directors now and I'm like, dude, do you remember, you know, 2013 when yeah. we were doing this and this and this and look at us now, now we've honed our craft. If only we were given the chance to do that project again, again now. now. And yeah. uh, I think it would be something totally different. Yeah. So then, yeah. So then after I'm off, you know, cause I was bragging with my short films. Now I could brag with my feature films. Yeah. I got a call to do a sitcom. This lady who is like, you know, one of your editors is my friend. And yeah. she told me, you can direct. I have a sitcom called Antibos. Would you be willing to come on board? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I went and just got on the ground and I'm seeing Yves D'Souza, seeing Makbul. I'm like, I, I listened to you guys on radio. Mm-hmm. Now I'm told to direct you guys. I'm like, what is and this? Again, panic mode. And because it's a sitcom, I've never done a sitcom before. Again, on the ground, go. What is a sitcom? Exactly. I was like, <laughs> how to direct a sitcom? <laughs> and somehow, I, I think I did um, was it 11 or 12 seasons of that show. What? The next season is about 13 episodes. What? It just went with it. It was freaky. Uh, I don't know. It was just insane. The timelines you have to work with. Somehow, I came out the other side. All of a sudden, People are referring to me as a professional. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. One thing is, you know, I never deny what people say. If people call me a filmmaker, I'm like, of course I am. People say, you're a pro. I'm like, of course I am. I won't deny because I don't believe in sending out negativity in the world. So if the world speaks positive, I'll I'll embrace it. So then all of a sudden, I'm getting calls for commercials here. But Deep down, I always used to tell Bran, because Bran was with me and Bruce yeah. they were with me the whole time. And I was telling them, I'm a filmmaker. I'm not, I've never felt comfortable doing TV. And they, they felt the same. They were like, you know what? We've gone for auditions as actors. 
we're not getting roles, we have the know-how, why don't we start to make our own movies and cast ourselves in them? That way we'll keep the, the roles we want. Mm. And so we formed a company called Kibanda Pictures, uh, Bruce Macau, Brian Monene and I. Mm. And later on we were joined by a lady called Millicent Ogutu. She's the managing director of Phoenix Players. Oh. She used to see us make movies and she's like, I'm seeing you guys hanging yeah. around here, making movies, but are you making money from it? Yeah, we're like, that's... oh, uh, we are artists. Yeah. And she's like, you can't do this because for us, we were making money to make movies. So you go do the commercials, yeah. save some money, then come say, I have 15K. Can we make a short film? And we go make a short film. The money is eaten up and we go look for jobs out there. And she was like, no, 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 no. That's not the way to live. You have to start to think. It's show business. I remember mm-hmm. the talk she gave us, it's called show business. business. You have the show, but where's the business? Mm-hmm. And so we formed the company Kibanda Pictures to make sure that we start making money from our art. Yeah. But at the same time, still build the brand of film in Kenya. So they're making short films together. At the same time, still working in TV. Brian started working as a writer because he used to write all of our short films. And I'm like, Dude, why don't you come help me in TV? And mm. so at that time, I was doing a show called, because Auntie Boss um, had a spin off show called yeah. Vashita. Yeah. Uh, she was one of the characters in Auntie Boss. She got her, um, her own show. And this time it was on Maisha Magic, and the money was better. And the yeah. scale was bigger. And I was like, yo, Brian, would you come on board and start helping us write the sitcom? So Brian branched out into being a professional writer. Mm. Bruce um, branched off to be a producer and a director. We all sort of started learning how to make movies, but forgot our craft as actors. Yeah. <laughs> and we just ran with it two years ago is when we realized, OK, now we are ready to sort of slow down and Bruce branched into acting full-time, and now he's on a show called Kina. Brian found his calling in writing and sound design. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to settle as, as a director. Because I used, to, I used to do every single... I've worked in every single department in Kenya, in film. <laughs> just so that I, I was calling it learning, but it was the same attitude I had when I was doing odd jobs. Like you have to have your hand in everything, everything yeah. yeah, because you never know what's gonna prosper. So at that point, like about, I think like three, four years ago, I used to do color grading, I used to do editing. I was a DOP, I was a producer. I, I had done costume, I had done AD, I had done PA, I had done lighting gaffer. I used to just go everywhere until three, four years ago is when I was like, okay, now I can settle. I have the know-how in every department, but what yeah. do I really want? That's when I made the decision to just become a full-time director. <laughs> Immediately I made that decision is when I got the call for Supermodo, which ended up being my first feature film, my first true feature film. Feature film, yeah. That came about from the small short films I used to do. We used to do short films and share them on the internet. We did a short film called Bait, which was part of the 48-hour film festival. One of the judges for that short film just happened to be Sarika Lakani, mm, mm. producer for One Fine Day Films. Mm. And she was like, we watched your short film and you are going to be the director, the next director for our project. And we don't know what it is, but mm. you're in. And I was like, cool. So we took a whole year trying to find out what movie you're going to do next. Mm. And that opportunity wouldn't have come 
if it wasn't for those small, small victories that I was claiming. I'd do a short film, announce it to the world, put it on YouTube, share it on Facebook. I'm like, look, I made, you know, and we made a short film called Between the Lines. We made that short film and then we showed it. You know, in those circles where you're bragging, I'm a filmmaker and we show it, we show it, we show it. We showed it to a guy called Fred and Fred was like, yo, I work at IMAX. I'm a projectionist at IMAX. Can you convert this for IMAX and, you know, put it in the trailer section? Yeah. I was like, why not? Call Brian up. We are doing this. And we took like two weeks Googling so how to convert. <laughs> yeah, how to convert for at that time we didn't have, you know, Premier Premier Pro had a, didn't have a section for DCP. Yeah. That was like hacking comps and converting them to line up and 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 you know looking for plugins and, and we'd, we'd, I remember spending nights at IMAX cinema after they close, just trying to convert, not working. Convert, mm-hmm. not working. And and eventually after like I think 14 days, was it 18 days? We plugged in uh, the laptop, copied the DCP, and it played. And the first thing we're seeing is Kibanda pictures on the okay. iMac screen. We were screaming because it, it never happened before. It was the first Kenyan short film. I think it was the first narrative on an iMac screen. Yeah. And my goodness, that was a victory. And we were like, we got the chance to show a movie just before. 300 rise of uh, the second the sequel of 300 yeah and just before that you're seeing a kenyan film it's like damn me i was crying me, i was like dear yeah. like oh, our man. movies on the same screen <laughs> as a hollywood movie i'm like i don't care and we we had a small victory there but those small victories wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for us pushing those small small short films yeah. because the moment that movie showed on the imax screen Give us work to start converting trailers for IMAX because they're like, oh, why should we pay someone abroad? Abroad to convert when you guys can convert. So we started converting for them, and when we started showing a movie, people we started getting calls. They're like, are you the guys who did this movie? Yeah, we have a small commercial. Would you like to? Mm-hmm. And then we air it on IMAX. I'm like, done. It's like one after the other of just small, small things that you think have no consequence, but. Yeah. If it wasn't Very for open. that movie, yeah. that this and this wouldn't have led, led to that. And and so next thing we are we are working there with this international producer, and I'm hearing Tom Tikva, the great Tom Tikva, whose movie had followed um years ago, is the producer for the project. And I look back, I'm like, if it wasn't for those small things and never bringing any negativity in, in our life, we wouldn't have gotten where we got. People made fun of us. I remember when we were at Phoenix, people used to call us laptop filmmakers. You make a movie and put it on your laptop. <laughs> guys used to call us the Powerpuff Boys. And just big guys with a laptop making movies everywhere we can with zero mount. If you had had those negativities and, and said, yeah, these things are not going anywhere, we wouldn't have gotten where we are. Next thing, you know, now we're on Spamodo. And that was a whole new journey. I think that's another hour of just yeah. talking about how Supermodo came to be. <laughs> yeah. But eventually Supermodo came to be. That was now the boom peak. Yeah, that was the peak. <laughs> I remember when the movie premiered, I was getting calls from who's who in Kenya and guys, Facebook, like we watch this movie. And I was so nervous with Supermodo premiering. And I always make this joke. Maybe I shouldn't make this joke. 
But the joke was, if no one, <laughs> like after that premiere, if people don't like that movie, I'm going to take that movie and I'm going to put it on torrents and I'm going to share it. <laughs> and I'm like, because I was so nervous, like this has to work because I'd poured so much to Spamodo. Spamodo was like a buildup of everything I'd gone through, the, the, yeah. the, the relationship I had with my mother, the relationship yeah. with my sister. It was everything I'd experienced, my love for film, my love for mm-hmm. comics. Um, it, even just my experience trying to pitch the movie, because I tried to pitch Spamodo before. Everyone's like, what do you mean you're going to do a superhero movie? No, no one does a superhero movie in Africa. There was so much negativity, and I poured that back into the movie itself. And so when the premiere happened and the reviews came in, the tears, like everything wasn't in vain. I remember calling Brian up, calling Bruce up. I'm like, we have to just go back and celebrate every single victory we've had. And so we had our own movie night, just watching everything we've done, the good and the bad, the stuff mm. people would never watch and the stuff we put proudly up. Mm. And we were like, this is what film is about. Film isn't about this whole bougie, I'm a director kind of thing. It's expression. People don't see that. A lot of people don't see the amount of work directors put in. Even in TV, you know, I'm okay with it because yeah. I know but a lot of people go, you know, oh, that performance. Like, yeah, that the actor's performance. I, I, that, I'm channeling myself. My blood, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, man. I channeled. Yeah, I channeled that. You know, the, the production design, I'm like, yeah, this is the color that I was seeing. But at the end of the day, when the product is done and people are enjoying it, I'm like, my work is done. I'm, I'm supposed to be the unsung hero of production, yeah. me and every other department. Down there, because I was like, if I'm feeling that way, imagine makeup artists who yeah. people say this performance is okay, but they don't know. You know, <laughs> I remember <laughs> this project, I won't say which one it is. These actors just couldn't deliver the crying, you know, the mm. you know, and the makeup artist was like, I have the solution. Glycerin. <laughs> yeah, it does not slide, it does not slide exactly. fast enough. You can shoot a whole sequence <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> exactly and i'm like watching these people cry and and when the audience watches they're like oh look at that performance the tears were so honest i'm like the makeup artist <laughs> did all that and when you realize film is all about this expression all of them coming together you sit back and like i'm glad for uh, about the crew and the cast yeah. and every single project i've done and even with crime and justice, I know the work people put in, and mm. I know people will never celebrate them. I know departments who people will never celebrate, including my own department. Mm. And I'm glad. I'm like, we know what we've done. We've expressed ourselves. Now we move on to something yeah. else. And yeah, that's where I am now. Man, I, I don't <laughs> think there's anything else I can add, even though we usually have one question that you have. <laughs> For this podcast uh, part of this conversation, um, mm. if you are to spend five minutes or less with someone who is an admirer, I'm I'm telling you, he 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 was wearing the same Marvel jumper. He has your picture <laughs> framed up in their bathroom, you know, as yeah. in the shower. They're just like, ah, that's the man I want to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what would you teach them? I have three rules. Actually, I have like 20, but the top ones, yeah. I always tell people is, number one, always be on time and be the happiest man on set. 
I assure you, Mark, you come to my set, no one laughs louder than I. Because for me, people ask me, what do you do when you're not making movies? Yeah, I watch movies because it's my hobby. I love watching movies. And then now I have the chance to make movies. You think I'm going to approach it like a nine to five job? No, man. For me, it's a playground because I enjoy watching a scene come together. You know, you have a dead scene where someone is dying and everyone is crying. I'll be with a smile there like, look, it's working. <laughs> look, like, that's someone's neck cut off. It looks good. Like, can't you see the amount of, like, we're magicians. And everything comes together. So I love my job. And because of that, I take it seriously, but I also have fun. So I'm always on time. I'm never late to my job. And I always have fun on set. And when I'm not having fun, I take five minutes to sort of like restructure my mind and make sure even if the set is on fire, I am still going to have fun. Because our job is it's unique. Every day is a new adventure. Every day is a new problem. You never go on set and you have the same experiences you had yesterday. You go on set today, today it's the sun that disappeared and you needed the sun. Tomorrow, it's an actor who refused to do this. The next day, it's a set is on fire. The next day, someone is late. Or the next day, the camera refused to work. I'm like, Joe, this job is... And it's fantastic. Exactly, it's insane, but it's a drag. Because people don't know those are the things we go through to give you five seconds of entertainment. (laughs) And a lot of people, we invite them on set, they're like, oh, I want to come experience set life. I bring them. And then they're like, after 10 minutes, they're like, this is it. It's a war zone. I'm like, exactly. Like, you do one tick like 12 times, yeah, to get three seconds of a performance. I'm like, that yes. is the beauty. And until, if you're an upcoming filmmaker, and I see a lot of filmmakers avoiding the stress, I'm like, embrace it. There are projects where you map out everything, and it comes out the exact same way. But those mistakes that come up, uh, come up are part of the creative process. Mm. You know, there are things that happen on set that are gold and that are mistake. You know, an actor was then supposed to stand there and they end up standing there and you're like, oh, it works. You know, some, you're supposed to fake a blow and a real blow landed. You're like, oh, that, you know, something happens and like these mistakes, I assure you, even the best filmmakers on earth those mistakes make it into the film and they become part of the art. Mm-hmm. So if you're an upcoming filmmaker, always be on time, have fun. I think another thing would be never let the crew see you cry. <laughs> <laughs> because as a director, you're a leader. It's the producer than you. And people don't go to the producer for creative approval. They go to you. You can imagine a leader the president of a country saying, I don't know. How will you trust them? You know, if your one and only leader says, I don't know where we are going, that's it. And as a leader of the film, you have the best job in the world. Your job is just to dream. So there is no limitation. So there is no I don't know in dreaming. Mm-hmm. If someone says, you know, um, I don't understand this, all you have to do is just close your eyes and dream and it will come to you and you go. But if you ever admit, oh, this is getting too much for me, or show your weakness to the, to the people who are looking up to you, the vision bearer has a weakness, the vision bearer is, doesn't know what they're doing, that's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, and so I never let the crew see me cry. 
um, I want people to know that even when I don't know, I am in control of the project. And a lot of times we come off aggressive uh, because of that. But it's that surety of whether it works or not, I got this. Yeah. And and the crew and the cast will never give you more than what they see you do. Yeah. So if they only see 80% of passion, you will only get 80% of passion. Yeah. And so I always let make sure the crew know I am in this 110%. I am willing to sacrifice my health, my time, my money for this. And the moment they see that, they also want to join in like that. They also want to sacrifice something. And that's a beauty of so. So yeah, yeah, never let the crew see you cry and always be in control of the project. Amazing. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing. That was an amazing story. <laughs> You won't get an for for I'm so surprised. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Likarian, for sharing such a beautiful, insightful story about how you've made it to this point. We still are left with the idea of you being a mama fool. Wow! It's amazing how far we come. And for the audience, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can capture more in-depth conversations that I have with Likarian on his art of directing on our YouTube channel. See you there.